This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome to it once again, kicking off another week here. And uh, once again, the program is going to sound like a version of Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Actually, Bob Stoffer joins me an hour or two, so it will sound like Oilers Now. Uh, the team making the biggest headlines right now, the Edmonton Oilers, despite the win against the Seattle Kraken. Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson find themselves without a job, without a team. Um, in comes Chris Knobloch and in comes Paul Coffey. Uh, we'll talk a lot about this today. Not just the coaching situation, but the dynamic above them as well. And if you had, let's, uh, let's kick it off this way. Elliot's going to stop by in a couple of moments. We'll get more into this. If you had any doubts whatsoever, who was running this team right now? And who was calling the shots right now? You saw the dynamic play itself out yesterday at the press conference uh, where they announced Chris Knobloch as the new head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. This is, this is, this has had a lot of play already, but I want to spin it back for you and keep one thing in mind. Think about under what scenario this conversation could possibly happen. This is the talk about where the players consulted about the firing of Jay Woodcroft. First is Ken Holland. Second is Jeff Jackson. Let's go back to yesterday. I did talk. I have talked over the, this past week um, with with uh, some of the veterans on our team. Um, I'm not going to tell you what they said. I take the information. Ultimately, I have to make I have to make decisions. Obviously, Jeff's got a long, long, long relationship with. Uh, with Connor, you can probably talk about that. Yeah, no, I mean, we didn't consult with the players on this decision. <clears throat> Never spoke with Connor or Leon or Nuge or Nursing or any of the other leadership group. Um, these guys are here to play hockey. That They they know that. That's what they want to do. Um, they don't like being involved in these types of decisions. Uh, that's my experience. Um, so the fact that you know, Chris was Connor's coach in Erie in 2014-15. It, it only has something to do with this because I think Chris Knobloch's a very good coach. <clears throat> uh, Connor didn't have anything to do with this decision, and neither did the other uh, leadership group. Okay, so right there, that was the very symbolic and very public passing of the torch. That was the reminder of who's in charge here. Because in a normal situation, if Ken Holland is in charge of this team and calling the shots and making all the decisions, the top person on the pyramid, there's no way that Jeff Jackson talks like that right after Ken Holland said, yeah, we're talking to the veteran players all the time. I'm not going to share with you what they told me, only to be dismissed and refuted by Jeff Jackson, who's really in charge here. And that leads to a couple of different questions as well. And this always happens when a new coach uh, comes in. But this is a situation where it's not just a new coach coming in, but it's someone existing above the position of the general manager who has brought this new coach in. And just so you're aware, Jeff Jackson, when he was an agent, was always a big supporter of Chris Knobloch. And it had it wasn't, like to this point that we heard yesterday, it's not just because he was Connor McDavid's uh, coach in Erie. Um, this is someone who's coached a lot of Jeff Jackson's clients, both when he was with Aura Group and with Wasserman as well. This is someone that 
Jeff Jackson has always gone out the door and around the block to talk about publicly as someone who should be coaching in the NHL. He had the moment of opportunity to make that happen, and he took the shot. Now, here becomes the question. Well, there's a few questions here, really. Um, What is this team going to look like? What is this team going to play like? What do they need to achieve right now as well? And how long do they have to do it? You know, I think all of us have had conversations with um, friends, acquaintances. Uh, maybe if you know some people in the industry, you've talked to them as well. Um, everyone's had this conversation ever since the news broke yesterday. What now? What does this mean? What do the Oilers have to do? And I think that, I think based on a couple of conversations and one specifically this morning I had with someone who brought, who brought up a really good point. Um, and this is someone who believes that as the roster is constructed right now, that this team hit max production last season, that based on how the team is right now, you got the most out of them last season. And the point that this person was making is they don't need to be better than their start right? They don't need to be better than that. They need to be better than last season if they're going to move this thing ahead and try to salvage another year of both Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in their prime. And the other thing that I don't think we should ever forget here is after this season, Leon Dreisaitl has one more year remaining on his contract. Connor McDavid has two. Squandering opportunities like this, not in the cards, And the Edmonton Oilers, much like the Pittsburgh Penguins once upon a time and still to this day, you know, as long as Crosby's in the lineup and Malkin's in the lineup, as long as they have McDavid, as long as they have Dreisaitl, taking a step backwards is not an option. Let's bring in Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Hello, Friedge. How you doing, Jeff? Uh, I'm well. Just sharing a, a conversation that I had with someone uh, earlier on today, and we were talking about the big story from yesterday, which is still the big story for today, and it's going to be the big story tonight on Sportsnet as the Islanders face off against the new-look Edmonton Oilers with uh, their new coaching staff in place. Um, and having a conversation about you know, how long do the Oilers have to do this, what do they need to do, what changes still need to be made. And this person I was talking to, and this is someone who's in the industry, said, here, here's the, here, this has to be the thinking. The thinking can't just be we have to be better than our start. The thinking has to be we have to be better than last season. Now, I will add that this person does believe that as constructed right now, the Oilers maxed out on their potential last year and that other changes need to happen if they're going to take that next step and be in the conversation with the Vegas Golden Knights, for example, in the Western Conference. When you look at this team, A, do you agree with those statements? And B, what do they need to achieve here? Is it just get this thing back on track, be, you know, be better than the start, obviously, or in their minds, they have to do everything to be better than last year. Not better than the start, but better than last year. Uh, look, I just think they need to fix. Like, I just think they need to be better right now. Um, you can't, like, like Jeff, you can't get better than you were last year unless you sort it out right now. Because you're not even going to yep. get an opportunity in the playoffs. Um, you know, like I just generally think, and I and I think it more and more as 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 I look at the whole situation, they got backed into a corner. They got back into a spot where they were, where they sit there and they said, "Look, we're not good enough. 
every, like, like the one thing is if you look at the Oilers, everything is going wrong, even the power play. And that's, yeah. you know, you, you would sit there and you would think no matter what, the power play would be good. It's a middle of the league power play. So that's how bad it's going for them is that even their power play is average and everything else is below average. And, and you sit there, you say, oh, my, if we don't turn this around fast, we're not going to make the playoffs. We, you know, we sent a goalie down. We're trying to make a trade. We can't make a trade. This isn't getting better. We're, I mean, aside from that game the other night where they jumped on Seattle early and then they just, you know, they, it was almost un like They just kind of shut the game down, didn't let anything happen for two periods. Um, but that's the way you've got to yeah. win sometimes. I, I just think they got back into a corner, Jeff. And, like, as you said, with Dreisaitl and McDavid, if you want a commitment from those guys, like last summer, even right before the season, you heard uh, Dreisaitl talk uh, in Vegas like a yep. month before the season started. He said, look, like everybody here wants to win. That's all I want. It was all unicorns. Like everything was good. And then they start 3-9-1, yeah. and all of a sudden you're looking at it like, well, boy, we might not make the playoffs. Or, And what does that mean for Leon and Connor? Like they cannot allow it to happen. Sometimes you dictate your circumstances, and other times your circumstances dictate you. And this was a, this was B. This was the Oilers' circumstances dictating to them. Now, I, I don't think Elliot that anyone thinks that Connor McDavid is at one hundred percent right now. But yeah. having said that, you know, I, I can't help but wonder if not having Connor at a hundred percent and not Connor challenging records and not having Connor um, on top of the, the points leaderboard in the NHL, not having that Connor McDavid has exposed a lot of the flaws. Like when Connor McDavid can't score you out of problems, yeah, flaws get exposed. Is, is, that what, is that what's happened here now? I think that's a very fair comment because I know if I was coaching and God help any team that I would be coaching, but I know if I was coaching and things were going bad, you know what I would do? I would simply say, um, yeah. I cannot believe it's you in the flesh. Uh, nice to meet you. Sorry, I'm just on the radio. Nice to meet you. Um, uh, so, like, if I was coaching, and, and God help me, if, uh, if I was ever coaching a team, um, then I would, if I was in trouble, Jeff, I would say, hey, 97, get on yep. the ice. That's what I would do. And, yep. and I, I think you're totally right. I think, uh, like, you know, like him at 60%, assuming that's what he's at, it's still better than 90% of the NHL. But, you know, like, it is true that you can't cover up for your mistakes or your blemishes. Like, um, it's, like it's like us going on TV without makeup. If we don't have the makeup on, people see what we really are. <laughs> and, you know, we're kind of seeing that. That's I think right. that's a very true very yeah. true point. Very true. And, you know, the other thing, too, is Dreisaitl has struggled. Like, there was there was one, like, yeah. you have asked about Dreisaitl, about scoring from oblique angles and how good he is at it. Well, yes. he had a great setup yes. the other night uh, in the first period against Seattle, and he missed the net. And, like, I was watching that, and I was saying, boy, like, how many times does Dreisaitl score on those? Like, almost all the time. It just It just shows how out of sync they are. You know, one of the things that um, uh, that I was talking about before you came on here is, and we got into this in the podcast that just came out this morning too, um, 
quite publicly uh, with Jeff Jackson disagreeing with Ken Holland, and we can we can split hairs about what Holland was trying to get at with his point of the conversation. But that was very publicly in a lot of people's mind, myself included, Jeff Jackson saying, I'm in charge now. I'm the captain now. There's the meme. I'm the captain now. That yes. was Jeff Jackson saying captain this is, that that is the public the yeah, the public moment where Jeff Jackson became the person most responsible for this team and the person making all of the decisions. Now, at practice this morning, I think we're all wondering who Connor McDavid is going to be playing with. We'll see what happens tonight. They face off against the Islanders. He was uh, skating with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Sam Gagne. Um, What still needs to happen here? Like, you're Jeff Jackson. Like, actually, let me back up. Before I get there, how long do you think they have? I mean, on the podcast, we talked about the St. Louis Blues in 2019. And we talked about the Florida Panthers last season. Teams that were looking like they were spiraling out of control. I mean, you remember that St. Louis team? Everybody was getting waved. Everybody was getting traded. They were throwing in the towel. Hail Mary pass. They called up Jordan Bennington. And everything changed. And yeah. we all know what happened last season on that fateful Chicago-Pittsburgh game that opened the field for the Florida Panthers to get into the playoffs. And we all know what happens when you ride a hot goalie in the playoffs. And that was the story of the Florida Panthers. But yeah. how long does Edmonton have here? I mean, if things don't turn around in, say, two weeks, is that it for the season? It could be. You know, Jeff, they have no runway. They can't, you know, they, they can't waste games anymore. It's over. The odds are, you know, you can use my stat, which is the November 1st stat, or you can use the American yeah. Thanksgiving stat, which a lot of people look into and is a, is a week and a half away. Um, you know, we're, we're there. Like, like, it has to start now. They've got, they've got no bank. They've banked up no money. They are, they're, at the, uh, they're at the poverty line when it comes to the playoffs. And... You know, they don't have two weeks. They, they have to go now. And, you know, the one thing I want, like, I agree with you about this is Jeff Jackson's organization now. This was a Jeff Jackson hire more than it was a Ken Holland hire. I, I believe that uh, 100%. But the one thing is, like, I, I went back and I watched this. That thing is all over my uh, social media timeline about what Holland said and what Jackson said about talking to the players. I think two things can be yeah. true here. Number one, the play that Ken Holland was talking to the players about what they think was going wrong. But I don't think that means that the players overthrew Jay Woodcroft. Like, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't think this was a mutiny or anything like that. I think this was, um, as a matter of fact, judging from some of the texts I got today, I absolutely don't believe that this was a mutiny. I, I think that, I think that they were talking to the players. They're trying to figure out what was wrong. But I think ultimately Jackson made the call. And I think it was Jackson because of who was hired. And as you and I talked about on the podcast today, Jeff yeah. Jackson has been talking up Chris Knobloch for a long, long time prior to his days as going back to his days as an agent. So like, like I don't think the players overthrew Woodcroft. I don't, I don't buy that narrative. I do think they were talking to them, but ultimately I think this was Jeff Jackson's call. Do you think that, I mean, I'm always curious uh, in situations like this, 
Uh, and this one has a really unique dynamic to it as well. As you mentioned, this is a transition of power from Holland uh, to Jackson. We have a new coach on the bench as well. We have some lines that are mixed up as well. How much do we, starting tonight uh, and this game against the New York Islanders, you know, start to see who Jackson's guys are and who Holland's guys were. I mean, you think of a player like Vincent DeHarnay, for example. Woodcroft had him in Bakersfield. Always a big supporter. Holland was always a big supporter uh, as well. There have been teams, as you know, that have knocked on Edmonton's door for Vincent DeHarnay, and they've always said, no, not interested. I think people have wondered Toronto about Andrew Kane. Toronto, Toronto tried as well. Um, you know, I, I think there's you know been some speculation that other teams um, came knocking for Dayarne uh, last season as well, um, and I think we wonder about Evander Kane. I mean, that was that was a, that was a calculated risk that Ken Holland took once upon a time. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know that there's necessarily a question here, other than. What do you expect we'll see? Tonight is game one, then they'll play Seattle, and they have Tampa and Florida on the horizon as that, as that Florida trip kicks off on the 18th. What do you think we start to see tonight by way of which way the wind is blowing? Who are the Jackson Knobloch guys, and who were the Holland Woodcroft guys? Well, I, you know, it's, I think it's a really good question. I, I don't know if you're – like, I always do look at that. That's I always, Like I say – I always check the first game or two under a new coach and say, okay, whose ice time is up and whose ice time is down. I think that's a pretty normal thing to do. You know, the thing I expect to see the most tonight is kind of that new coach bounce, right, Jeff? You know, you know teams yep. talk about you get that bounce when you bring in someone new. I think it sends a jolt through your team. Um, so I expect to see that tonight. Like, you know, things aren't going that great for the Islanders either. So it's not like they're not going to be desperate. So you expect to see an intense game between two desperate teams. Um, you know, the one thing about the Oilers, though, and, and Holland alluded to this the other day, it's not like they've got a lot of depth. You know, like a lot of other teams in, in this tight cap no. world, you know, like teams, they, it's not like they can really bench people or not like they really have a lot of room to fool around with their roster. So... Um, I am curious to see about that tonight, but generally the Oilers got to go with who's there because there aren't that many other options. It's a great one for the uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey crew, uh, led by David Amber. Justin Williams, by the way, who's part of that crew, drops by in hour two uh, here on this program. Elsewhere around the NHL, I uh, I do want to ask you about the the Rangers here. The thing I'm most upset about the Oilers is they're making me watch David Amber tonight. David was there for Connor McDavid's first game, as I mentioned, and you well know the game against the St. Louis Blues that Thursday, and now he's got uh, Connor McDavid with his junior coach behind the bench and a couple of new line mates as well. So we shall see what happens tonight. Um, one thing really quickly, we've talked a lot about Yarmir Yager over the years, and why not? Um, mm-hmm. Finally, and we talked about this last year at the Winter Classic with Phil Bork, mm-hmm who spoke mm-hmm. quite emotionally about Yager and candidly about conversations he's had with 68 and getting his number retired. That'll finally happen, as we find out, February the 18th in the game against the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, there are only two retired numbers uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. One day Crosby will, probably Malkin as well. Um, Mario Lemieux, 66, and Michelle Briere, number 21. Yager becomes number three. Um, just a, just a, a quick thought on this. Finally 
happening. You know, Bork told us that Yager uh, uh, didn't want this to happen until he was finally done and retired and then, and then move on and take this next step. Just to have a quick thought on Yager getting his number retired by the Penguins. Well, I'm, I'm happy to see it. I, I sent a note to Phil when that when that was announced because, I, I, like, obviously he was a guy who played a huge role in it, and I, I really was yeah. appreciative that you shared the story last year, Jeff, about how basically he was sent to the Czech Republic to try to broker the peace and get it done. Um, yeah. You know, I like look, like it should happen. You know, his number should be retired in Pittsburgh. I don't think anybody's going to debate that. Um, you know, I think the thing it reminds me a lot of, and I, and I think about this a lot, and and we've talked about it before, it's that, you know, very few of us get to write our own departures. And that happens a lot in sports. Yep. It certainly happens a lot in media. Like, you know, I've been around long enough, like 30 years. I, I recognize that my career will probably come to an end in a way that I don't like. And that's just the way our business goes. And... Yeah, it's, it's, per, it, it's perfectly normal that you're, there's going to be hard feelings. I think that, and I think everybody has to understand that there are going to be hard feelings. I think that the, what ha- everybody has to recognize is how do things change over time? And you know y- what Yager has shown to me is he's a he's a human being of incredible pride. Um, things that are meaningful to him are very meaningful to him as judged by the fact he's basically still playing at 50 to keep that team alive. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I can't say I'm not surprised. Uh, I can't say I'm surprised that, you know, this lasted as long as it did, but I'm glad someone could change his mind. Like, like there's, you know, yeah. Jeff, we're lucky. We're lucky in our business. We get to go to games, you know, basically for free. We work and we do our jobs but we get to go in and, and see yeah. things that are incredible to see. Like that is a night that I would, I, yeah. I would gladly fork out whatever it would cost to go. Cause I think the, I, I think the emotion in that building is going to be incredible that night. Like there's sometimes you walk yeah. into a building and even if it's empty, you feel the energy, you know, this is going to be a big night, a big game or a big event or whatever it is. That's going to be one of those nights. That's going to be, you know, and I always go back and I always do wonder, like part of the, you know, part of the uh, the vitriol coming out of the Penguins organization towards Yager, you'll recall when he came back from the KHL uh, and was choosing his NHL team, it was going to be Pittsburgh and then at the last moment it wasn't and it was the team across the state. And that one, I can't help but thinking like if he would have just come back and played for the Pittsburgh Penguins and not gone to Philadelphia, how much different things would be. And Phil Bork might never have had to go to Czech Republic to try to broker a new relationship and salvage the severed ties um, between the two organizations. Um, okay, a couple of things really quick, um, shotgun style here. Alexi Lafreniere, two goals yesterday. For the New York Rangers, they defeat the Columbus Blue Jackets. It takes a shootout, and Lafreniere is a guy that scores the game winner. Uh, everything is coming up Lafreniere right now for the for the New York Rangers, and I don't think it's a coincidence that um, putting Lafreniere with Artemi Panarin has unlocked that potential. I know a lot of this has to go to the coach, certainly, but putting Lafreniere with Panarin, we know how you know Panarin sprinkles fairy dust everywhere that he goes, and all the players that he plays with, um, and the latest example is right here 
with, uh, with, with Alexi Lafreniere. Do you have a, a thought on this Rangers phenomenon right now? Well, look, I, I think it's a, it's a great thing for the Rangers because it's unlocked his potential. And, you know, the other thing, too, is when you're given an opportunity, you have to take advantage of it. And the kid's done that. And, and at the end of the day, that's what matters uh, the most. So it, it, what's the old line? You can trade your problem, you can solve your problem, but it's better to solve your problem. And for now, it looks like the Rangers have done exactly that. And they have a ton of injuries as well. They're doing this without Heedle, without Adam Fox, and Igor Shosturkin, and the Rangers are really good uh, right now. Um, a couple of more things uh, as well. Um, the New York Islanders tonight facing off against the Edmonton Oilers, and we've talked a lot about Edmonton. And, you know, for the for all the right reasons, they just went through a, uh, a really, really awkward stretch and bad stretch. And this weekend, despite the win against Seattle, uh, this was a tough weekend for that organization. But what about the team at the other end of the rink here? You know, 8.30 Eastern, uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey on Sportsnet. It's the Islanders facing off against the Oilers. Things have not exactly gone swimmingly for the Islanders. Um, we know the fans have turned on Lane Lambert's. Uh, Casey Zizekas, you know, stood up for his head coach and essentially said, don't come to the games. If you're going to behave like that, don't come to the games. Um, this Wednesday, we'll see the return of Bo Horvat to Vancouver as the Islanders face off against the Canucks. So circle that one on your calendars as well. Where is Elliot Friedman at on the New York Islanders right now? Well, I think there's reason to be concerned. There's no question about it. Um, you know, they, like they bet on their group, right? Uh, you know, this isn't just yep. about this isn't just about this year. This is a long-term bet on everybody they had there. And if this is the way it's going to be, like it's early, um, but if this is the way it's going to be, I think everybody there would be concerned. Um, you know, I still think they're they're looking for a score. Um, I do. I you know, and the other thing too, I kind of wonder about is just Barzell. You know, they're trying something different with them this year. Are they committed to that experiment? Do they stay with it or do they go back? And I think that's one of the interesting uh, decisions they're going to have to make. I think they're looking uh, for a score still. Um, You know, it's always tough to tell with him. He's so quiet and people are legitimately afraid to mention his name if they're even talking to him. So it's it's not easy to figure out, but I do think they're looking. You know, Jeff, the other thing there is there's a big game this week with Horvat going back to Vancouver. And I, I, the one yeah, thing I, I, I will always remember is I, I remember when Butch Carter was the head coach of the Toronto Raptors, he blew up once because it was Antonio Davis's first game back to Indiana uh, after he got traded to the Raptors, and they played like garbage. They were terrible. And he went wild about that, and he said, uh, if if you have a teammate who's supposed to mean something to you, and they're going back in their first game against a team that traded them, you owe you are yeah. not a team if you don't have a great performance. So I always think about games like this. So here's Horvat going back, and they know it's going to be emotional for him. Sometimes I well I I think that if you're a team that's struggling, you can use games like that to kind of drag you out of the muck. So I'm really curious to see how the Islanders are in Vancouver this week. So uh, a second ago, we mentioned Yarmir Yager. And you can recall uh, when he went to, when he was playing with the New York Rangers, they, man, they tried so many centers with him. 
They tried Drury. They tried Gomez. They tried Straka. But the one player that he really clicked with, and I always thought it was because this player had the ability to get the puck to Yager in really difficult positions. Like Yager wants the puck always, and it's not always easy to get him the puck when he wants it. But there was one guy who could always do that, and that was Michael Nylander. I thought that with the Rangers, Nylander was the best center that Yager had. Now, here we are with uh, Michael Nylander's son, William Nylander, and his point streak is now at 14. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs with a big victory on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. And we're all wondering, what is happening with Nylander and the contract? Or is this a moving target? And the longer the point streak goes... The higher the contract goes, like, is there a, a? Do you know if there's a target number that the Maple Leafs need to hit, or is this like, was it Alpine Way on on on, on the prices right that it just keeps on climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing, and eventually Trilogy's oh, just gonna rapper. say, stop, stop, we can't afford. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, I spent a lot of time uh, sick uh, home from school <laughs> watching Prices Right as a kid. Wow. Um, is there is, is, is there a number that he has to hit, or does this thing just keep going up, 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 up? First of all, I, I remember watching that game on Prices Right, and you knew if they got three wrong, the Alpine guy was going over the mountain. So that that is an outstanding, outstanding reference. Um, I, I believe this. Uh, I, I, I always cliffhangers. Believe it was, that's it. Cliffhangers, yeah. what it's called. Okay. Cliffhangers. Okay. Sorry, that's what it's called. Okay. Okay. Um, I always believed it was a big number, not as big as as Matthews, but it was a big number. Um, I do believe that Nylander, like I have said this many times, and I will and I will say it again, Jeff. I think Nylander, because he wants to be in Toronto, is willing to except less than you might get somewhere else, but he's not going to be the only person who takes less. Like the, it's a big number, but there is some willingness to compromise. Like, look, like the one thing he's done this year, and, you know, the other thing too that I, I, I wanted to mention about this guy is that he's got that Sedin thing where the market doesn't affect him, right? Like those guys were not bothered by the craziness of the market. Um, you know, like, I think Nylander's like that, too. And I think that's really valuable in a place like Toronto. What he has shown this year is that all of the wildness about the market, again, it just doesn't phase him. So I think, Jeff, I think it's a big number. I think there is some willingness to compromise there. But, again, he's not taking a haircut if nobody else does. And what this season has done is it's proven that he is worth, I mean, we're still early, but he's been off to a great start. He is worth the big number. Because if he doesn't get it here, he's going to get it somewhere else. He will. Uh, he's having a wonderful season right now for the Maple Leafs. We'll see where uh, where this one heads. It is interesting, too, because, listen, you were around for Michael Nylander's uh, conversations around contracts. And when you talk about tough negotiators or someone that wasn't going to walk away and leave anything on the table, that was Michael Nylander. He knew what he was worth, and he wasn't taking a nickel less. You I don't, look, honestly, I don't, even, I don't even think it's that, Jeff. I think it's more of... You know, like if if everybody else is getting market value or close, then he expects yeah. to too. 
All right, uh, on that we'll wrap. Eyes on tonight. It is the Oilers facing off against the Islanders. Justin Williams, part of our panel this evening, will stop by the program here at the top of hour two. Enjoy the rest of your walk. I hope you brought a Sharpie and some 8 by 10 Sounds like you were getting swarmed there a couple of moments ago. You enjoy your afternoon, Frage, and we'll, uh, we'll chat tomorrow. I was wearing shorts. Great day. Oh, my goodness. I know, right? Get on the uh, shorts and flops. It's checks notes November 13th <laughs> in Toronto. All right. We'll, uh, we'll hit a break on that one.